0: And now, here's a word from the Lord. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 to 23 from the New Living Translation. I want to put the spotlight on verse 16, where Elisha tells his servant, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid afraid. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Don't be afraid. The title of this message simply is Don't Be Afraid. This story in our text, y'all, went a little something like this. You may have missed what the story is just by reading the verses, but in case you missed it, the story basically goes like this. The Arameans wanted to bum-rush Israel but Israel countered their attacks. So the Arameans or Syrians uh, wanted to know how Israel got their intelligence. So Elisha was ratted out. The question becomes how did Syria know it was him? Don't know. But somehow they found out that the prophet, the man of God, was the one who was telling on them. So they come to Dothan for uh, Elisha. Elisha's servant goes out the next morning. He sees all of these Aramean troops. He got scared. Elisha prayed for the Lord to open the servant's eyes. The servant's eyes were open and he saw horses and chariots of fire. Now, there's no no record of whether he was still scared. Something worth noting. No record of whether he was still scared. But Elisha then prayed for Syria to be blinded. Elisha lied to them. He lied. I'm going to deal with it. He lied to them and led them to Samaria. Once in Samaria, Elisha prayed for the Lord to open their eyes. The king of Israel asked Elisha what to do with them. Elisha told him to make them out, to take them out to dinner and then send them home. They were granted a cookout and sent home. There was no war. There was peace, maybe for around a year or so. That, y'all, is basically what happened in the text we just read. This story shows us just because you're outnumbered, doesn't mean you're going to be defeated just because you're the underdog in a fight that doesn't mean you have to be afraid of losing with the lord on your side you can win as an underdog so don't be afraid fear fear can do a number on us fear can really work on your mind it can it can work on your thinking it can it can intoxicate how you react and how you respond or Whether you respond at all. The way Elisha played his role in this scenario can help all of us who find ourselves underdogs in a fight. I wonder how many of y'all ever felt like that. An underdog in a fight. Outnumbered, overpowered, overwhelmed. The good news is God can help you win even when you're an underdog. So the way Elisha played his role in this scenario can help all of us. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, especially if you have what Elisha had. What did Elisha have? Pastor Clark, a couple of things real quick. We're going to raise up. Number one, Elisha Elisha had this. He he had revelation of the enemy's plans. Revelation of the enemy's plans. Don't be afraid if you have revelation of the enemy's plans. If you have revelation of the enemy's plans, don't be afraid. Look at verse 8. Verse eight, Marie, verses eight through 10, where we're going to see Elisha receive revelation of the enemy's plans. When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, we will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. But immediately, Elisha, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel. Do not go near that place for the Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he would be on the alert there. It's almost as if, it's almost as if, uh, if the army of Albany was to come and attack uh, the army or, the, or all of us who live in Warner Robbins and Bonaire and Kathleen and Centerville and Byron. And then the word will get out that 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 God will speak to one of the pastors here in Warner Robbins and tell Mayor Patrick uh, the armed forces, the army of Albany are coming up to attack Warner Robins. And uh they're gonna come up I-75 and take the Watson uh exit, right by the aeroplane. That aeroplane that sits right there by the Watson uh exit. They're gonna they're gonna come that way, and then by the time they get close. They already see, by the time the the forces of Albany get close, they see that the forces of Warner Robbins are right there waiting for them. With the exception of two or three that go to the other side of the expressway to the strip club. But all the rest of them right there waiting for them. So then they go back to Albany. So then they come back up another way, they come back up another way and come back up through, up through Perry, up through, uh, Houston Lake. And, uh, that's their plan to come up that way. And then the word gets out and, and Mayor Patrick sends forces down there to, to counter them right at the corner of Houston Lake and Highway 96. And so by the time they get, by the time they get up to right around where Central Georgia Tech is and they see all the forces of Warner Robbins right there waiting for them, they, ah. Their plans are foiled. They run back to Albany. So the king of Albany would then begin to wonder, how is it that we keep trying to attack Warner Robbins, But by the time we show up they're there, they're waiting for us. Who's, who's, who's the leak in our intelligence? Who, who's the leak? So God kept revealing the enemy's plans to Elisha, the man of God. The king of Aaron would plan an attack against Israel. God would reveal the plans to Elisha. Elisha would go and tell the king of Israel, the Aramaeans plans repeatedly and thwart their attack. When you're the underdog who's outnumbered and overwhelmed, what God has revealed can give you the upper hand over the enemy. Now, here's the deal. Understand this. God can give us a revelation of what the enemy is planning. But we already have revelation of the devil's plans in the word of God. God can speak to you or show you uh, uh, where you're vulnerable and susceptible to the adversary's attack. But we already have revelation of how the devil attacks us in the Bible. What I'm I'm trying to tell you all is the devil's plans are no secret. He has been exposed. The devil's the devil's plans are not classified. They are not top secret. We we are not to be ignorant of his schemes. If you take taking notes, write this scripture down. Second uh, Corinthians chapter two, verse 11. Second Corinthians two and 11 says Satan will not outsmart us for we are familiar with his evil schemes. That's 2 Corinthians 2 and 11. The Bible provides us the inside scoop on the devil's plans. And in case you haven't heard, in case you didn't get the memo, here's what the enemy has planned for you. John 10 and 10, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus said his purpose is to give us a rich and satisfying life. The devil's plans are already revealed to us in the word of God. Second Timothy chapter two, verse nine says, this man uh, will come to do the work. Talk about a man who will come at the end times. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He's going to have bootleg power, but it's going to look so real. He's going to deceive people who don't know any better. That's the devil's plans they're not top secret they've already been exposed they've already been revealed to us in the word of God that's why Peter told us in first Peter 5 and 8 we looked at this last week stay alert watch out for your great enemy the devil here's what he does he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour Satan Satan does that he he gets down like that we are not we, we, we are not blinded to his schemes we are not ignorant of how he, how he moves throughout the earth we, we have his plans in the word of God has already been revealed Satan deceived Eve he diseased, he diseased Job he spoke through Peter he gave Paul a thorn he's the father of lies we know he is a liar he thought he defeated Jesus at Calvary one Friday night but early one Sunday morning we know that the devil's plans were thwarted And some may wonder if the devil is winning now with all the violence, all the greed, all the poverty, all the racism, all the sickness, all the disease we see around the world. But one day, Jesus is coming back. Satan has plans, but he has been exposed. We are not ignorant of his schemes I'm trying to tell someone who's the underdog whenever you're the underdog whenever you're outnumbered overwhelmed there's no need to be afraid God can give you a revelation but I encourage you to get in the word of God and get some revelation of the enemy's movement just as Elisha's revelation helped him help Israel stay one step ahead of the Aramaeans revelation can help you stay one step ahead of the devil if you keep alert and vigilant if you keep calling cool calm cool and collected a revelation of the enemy's plans can help you just as they helped Israel they can help you stay one step ahead one one step ahead of the enemy but I'm gonna tell you this it, it staying in the word of God and understanding what God has already revealed concerning the enemy's plans can help you with your encouragement it can it can help you with your discernment it can help you with your discernment. It can help you focus and pay attention to those areas of your life where you know the enemy loves to launch an attack. How many of y'all know those areas in your life where the enemy loves to launch an attack? he has certain areas that he's prone to attack he he loves to attack your mind he he loves to attack your mental health he he loves to attack your relationships your family your church your community your country but revelation that either comes directly from god or revelation we already have in the word of god helps us remain sober vigilant and one step ahead of the devil so God gave Elisha revelation of when the Aramaeans planned to attack Israel. The king of Aram wondered who leaked his intelligence. He was told about Elisha telling the king of Israel when they planned to attack them. So, so now he sent troops to Dothan to apprehend, apprehend Elisha, the man of God. Elisha's servant went out the next morning after after the troops of Aram and their horses and chariots chariots had surrounded Dothan. Elisha's servant went out the next morning and and he saw all of these Aramean troops surrounding Dothan. Then he went and told Elisha you miss it. I knew you would. I'm, let me, listen, listen, God gave Elisha revelation of when the Arameans planned to attack Israel. The king of Aram wondered who leaked his intel. He was told about Elisha telling the king of Israel when they planned to attack them. So he sent troops to Dothan to apprehend Elisha. When Elisha's servant went outside one morning and saw all these Aramean troops surrounding Dothan, he told Elisha. God told Elisha when Aram was going to attack Israel, elisha 's servant told him when Aaron was going to attack him. why didn't God tell elisha? He told Elisha when Aaron was going to attack his people's Nim why didn't he tell Elisha when they were coming for him? Why would God do that when God is going to, why, why would God tell you when, when your enemy is going to attack your family Nim, but when he's going to attack you personally? God can be quiet. Why somebody else got to tell you what the devil is doing when God has been telling you what the devil is doing? Why does God decide sometimes he'll tell you what somebody else is doing when somebody else got to tell you what the devil done did? God didn't tell Elisha. His servant told him. While Elisha is sleeping, his enemies are surrounding him. God did not wake Elisha up to tell him the plans of the Aramaeans. God did not send an angel to wake to awaken Elisha and usher him out of Dothan God told Elisha when the Aramaeans came for Israel but said nothing when they came for him why is that why would God Elisha why would God allow Elisha to sleep while he was being surrounded it could be it could be That Elisha had enough revelation to where he could rest while his enemies were, were scheming. Revelation can allow you to rest. I'm saying that sometimes you can have enough revelation in your spirit of what the devil is scheming to do. To where when you have enough revelation you can rest while your enemy is restless. Doesn't that sound like God won't he let you sleep while your enemies are scheming didn't he let Daniel sleep in a den of lions didn't he let Jesus sleep in a boat in the midst of a storm Elisha had so much revelation of the enemy's movement he could rest in what God had already told him. He didn't need another word He didn't need confirmation He had enough word to keep him from worrying Somebody needs to digest that in your spirit today Get enough word in your spirit To keep you from worrying Somebody needs to understand that today I need to get enough word in my spirit To keep me from worrying The devil's going to do what he's going to do The question is are you going to do What you're supposed to do Get enough word in your spirit To keep you from worrying Because sometimes while you can rest your enemy is restless but if you got enough word in your spirit I wish I had some help in this Episcopalian church when you get enough word in your spirit it can keep you from worrying Elijah you're asleep don't you Elisha you're asleep don't you know they are trying to surround you don't bother me I'm asleep Elisha don't you see that the enemy is trying to surround don't think they're coming for you don't bother me I'm asleep I'm asleep don't bother me right now I'm getting my rest don't bother me right now That that may need to be some new vocabulary for some of us right in in the room right now. Don't bother me right now. Maybe that's what some of y'all need to do when when people are calling you a mess and drama and rumors and gossip and lies and all kinds of foolishness that disrupt your peace. Maybe you need a new phrase in your vocabulary. Don't bother me right now. I wonder who needs, to, who, who needs to get that in your vocabulary. Who, who needs to make that a new part of the language you're going to speak in this season. Don't bother me right now. The enemy was surrounding the city coming for him personally. And he was sound asleep. Be sure to get enough revelation in your spirit that you can sleep while the enemy is mounting up an attack against you. Got enough revelation where you can rest. So do not be afraid. If you have revelation of the enemy's plans, secondly, secondly, don't be afraid if you have faith to fight back. Don't be afraid if you have faith to fight back. Elisha had revelation of the enemy's plans, but he also had faith to fight back. I mean, verses 16 to 18, 16 to 18. So the servant has seen the Aramean troops surrounding Dothan. He comes to Elisha, asks Elisha, what we going to do? Verse 16, verse 16, don't be afraid, Elisha told him, watch this, for there are more on our side than on theirs. (laughs) In Dothan. Then Elisha prayed, "O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. As the Aramean army advanced toward him, Elisha prayed, O oh Lord, please make them blind. So the Lord struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Elisha is the underdog in this situation. You have armed troops coming to Dothan to approach, to apprehend the man of God, the preacher. He is one man with a servant. They outnumber him. They have more firepower than he has. He is certainly the underdog. He could have surrendered, y'all. He, he could have walked out and surrendered and said, listen, don't hurt my servant. Don't hurt anybody else in Dothan. I'm the one you're looking for. Let's, let's just go on and get this over with. He, he could have done that. But if he had done it, there's no telling how this whole scenario would have played out. The end of this scene, y'all, is no bloodshed, no violence, no war. There's peace. And I believe Elisha's faith to fight back played a part. I believe that. Let me tell you how we can see it. Let me tell you how we can see it. Elisha's faith to fight back, first of all, is seen in his peace. His peace. He has a faith in God that has him cool, calm, and collected. You can really see it in the contrast between his reaction and his servants. Look at verse 15. Look at verse 15. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere, everywhere. All along Highway 96, 247, Watson, all the way down Houston Lake 41, everywhere, everywhere. When we consider what is visible, when we consider what is visible, the Aramaeans' troops, horses, and chariots surrounding Dothan Elisha and his servant appear to be underdogs, appear to be underdogs. But listen, there's a contrast. There's a contrast between what how how his servant responds and how he responds. The servant, all he sees are the troops and and the horses and the chariots. That's all he sees. Elisha's faith empowered him to see something else that was not visible to the naked eye. But listen, faith isn't based on what's visible. Faith is not based on what's visible. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Faith sees what the human eye cannot see. While the servant sees nothing but a host of their enemy, Elisha sees something that gives him peace. This is one reason why the shield of faith is a part of our spiritual armor. Our faith has the power, watch this, to, to quench extinguish the fiery darts of the devil the devil throws darts of lies fiery darts of lies to make you panic he wants to burn up your faith he wants to burn up your faithfulness he wants to burn up your peace of mind he wants to burn up your tranquility he he wants to burn up your momentum he wants to steal kill and destroy whatever keeps you moving forward in your life and in your faith but the shield of faith can quench every fiery dart he'll lie and tell you that you're not saved he'll lie and tell you you're not going to make it he'll lie and tell you you're not coming out he'll lie and tell you you'll never move up he'll lie and tell you you cannot change all of these are fiery darts but faith puts all those lies out i need somebody to hear me faith puts all of those fiery lies out y'all hear what i'm saying listen faith faith would say stuff like by God's grace I am saved by his stripes I am healed he'll never leave me nor forsake me his angel is encamped all about me God is able listen with my help God is able regarding my finances God is able regarding my job God is able regarding my faith God is able I'm outnumbered but God is able I look like the underdog in this situation but God is able I don't know how I'm coming out but God is able I don't know how I'm going to make it but God is able I don't know where the money is coming from but God is able say what you want to say but God is able if you know God is able don't panic if you know God is able don't worry if you know God is able don't lose your mind if you know God is able then you have more going for you than you have going against you Does that sound familiar? Didn't Elisha tell his servant, we got more fighting for us than we have fighting against us. It's more on our side than on their side. If you got faith, listen, if you got faith the size of a mustard seed, you have enough fighting for you. More than you have fighting against you. Y'all hear what I'm saying? If you know God is able, then you have more going for you than you have going against you. You're more than a conqueror. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. If God be for you, who can be against you? Exercise your faith and fight back. Stop feeling sorry for yourself and fight back. Stand up and trust God and fight back. How do I fight back, Pastor Clark? Sometimes all you got to say is God is able. God is able. God is able. I don't know how the light's getting cut back on, but God is able. I don't know how I'm going to get another car to get back and forth to work, but God is able. I don't know where we're going to lay our head tonight, but God is able. God is able. He's able to give me back what I had. He's able to give me back more than I had. He's able to get me back to better than I ever been. I want to know if there's anybody here who ever had some setbacks, but your faith in God kept you moving, kept you trying, kept you going forward, and God bounced you back from your setback, and you're better off than you ever been. God is able. You say that, you put that in the atmosphere, you let the devil hear you say that from the bottom of your heart, you fighting back. God is able. Trust God and fight back. Fight back with your faith. But Elisha's faith is not only seen in his peace, but also in his prayers. His prayers. Watch this, watch this. Elisha fought back when he prayed for God to open his servant's eyes. Elisha told his servant, Don't be afraid. God has more forces fighting for us than those fighting against us. Look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. Then, then Elisha prayed, This is a bold prayer. I mean, this is an audacious prayer. I sometimes I look in the Bible at what people what people ask God for and how they responded to certain situations. I'm like, man, I'd have never thought of that. Peter in the boat, they all getting wet, they all in the middle of the night in the storm. Peter asked. If that's you, Jesus, bid me to come and walk on the water. I'd have never asked to walk on the water. I'd have been like, can you make the storm stop? My shoes wet. Can you make this? Let me walk on water. Elisha, Elisha said, Clark, you need to step your faith up. Lord, watch this in verse 17. Oh, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. What kind of faith is that to ask for that kind of stuff? Open his eyes and let him see and watch what God did. The Lord opened his eyes. Isn't that crazy? The Lord opened his eyes. He looked up, saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled, filled with horses and chariots of fire. Elisha prayed for his servant's blindness to be canceled, and the Lord canceled it. His blindness caused him to panic. What he could not see caused him to be fearful. Somebody needs to hear me. But Elisha prayed for the Lord to cancel his servant's blindness, and he could see the Lord put some heavenly resources at their disposal. The whole hillside is filled with horses and chariots blazing with fire. This, this fire was to display and show off their supernatural origin. It was to distinguish between the Aramaeans' horses and chariots and God's horses and chariots. It was to make it clear to that fearful servants, that fearful servant, God's horses and chariots listen, they, they, they're, they're nothing like man's horses and chariots. Man's horses and chariots ain't got nothing on God's horses and chariots. Apparently, They were already present, but invisible to Elisha's servant. Listen, listen. These horses horses and chariots were already there, but Elisha's servant was blind, and that's what blindness does. Blindness keeps you from seeing something that exists right in front of your very eyes. It it, is there, but you can't see it. Some of us can be blind to opportunities you got opportunities right in front of your eyes, but you're blind for whatever reason. You're blinded to opportunities in front of your eyes. You can be blind. You can be there all sorts of blindness. This this servant, he's he's blind. He cannot see what's right there in front of his eyes. But after the Lord answered the man of God's prayers, the servant sees them. So my prayer for you. (laughs) May the Lord open your eyes to supernatural resources at your disposal right now. I need somebody to holler right now. Somebody holler right now. I'm saying in the midst of what you're going through, there are horses and chariots of fire. There are supernatural resources, heavenly resources at your disposal to fight for you, to fight with you, to war on your behalf so that God gets the glory, so his kingdom advances, so you win, so you come out on top. Listen, I just pray that God opens your eyes. May the Lord cancel your blindness to what he has placed within your reach to help you fight your battles. I declare you are now surrounded by heavenly help. You cannot see with your physical eye. But if you pray in faith, God might just open your eyes to what he has already placed at your disposal to help you prevail in the midst of your predicament. I'm telling you that if God opens your eyes, listen, the truth is you can win this thing. I know that you're the underdog. You can win this thing. Exercise your faith and pray. Pray that he opens your eyes as well as the eyes of those around you. What really intrigues me is that Elisha prays this prayer for his servant that God will open his eyes. God opened his eyes. But then verse 18 talks about Elisha praying that God would blind the Arameans. My question that the text does not answer is that After God opened the servant's eyes, was he still afraid? If you're afraid and God shows you something, shouldn't that do something to take away your fear? Shouldn't somebody in here be saying, I was scared until the Lord showed me something? But I wonder how many of us are guilty of being afraid. And God showed you something and you're still scared. I wonder how many of us are, are in here are guilty of being afraid and God told you something. God God told you something, spoke something into your spirit, showed you something and you're still scared. I wish verse 18 said, and the servant wasn't afraid anymore. But I wonder, I wonder if, I wonder if, I wonder if he was like so many of us, where God can speak something into our spirit. God can, God can show us something supernatural and we know that God showed it to us and we still won't go do what he told us to do. Showed you what he could do with your finances and you still won't tithe. showed you how you can win souls for Christ and you still keep the gospel to yourself was the servant still scared he shouldn't have been he should not have been and that's my word to somebody here today with all that God has already told you with all that God has already showed you you shouldn't be scared anymore In this next prayer, I mean when I tell you I wrestled over this next prayer, Elijah fought back, fought back with his faith when he prayed for God to blind his enemy's eyes. Verse 18, as the Aramaean army advanced toward him, Elijah prayed, O Lord, please make them blind. And I don't know what intrigues me more. The prayer. Or God answering it. Elisha prayed Lord make them blind. So the Lord struck them with blindness. As Elisha had asked. (laughs) Elisha had the audacity. To pray that God blind. The eyes of his enemies. And the Lord answered his prayer. His enemies became blind. And when I tell you, I wrestled over this thing. Because if I can tell you to pray that God will open your eyes or pray that God will open your children's eyes or pray that God will open your spouse's eyes and expect God to open their eyes. Or if you pray that God open your eyes and expect God to open it because of what he did for Elijah, then by virtue, I ought to tell you, if you pray that God blinds your enemies, expect them to do it. What kind of a hoodoo prayer is that? I mean... That sounds like some hoodoos. That sounds like some hoodoo stuff they do down in Louisiana. <laughs> Jonathan's from New Orleans. <laughs> that sounds like some hoodoo stuff. And if the saints prayed this prayer for their enemies, even to include other saints that get on their nerves, all of us would be blind. Every last one of us would have, have somebody praying some hoodoo prayers against us. Is this what New Testament followers of Jesus are to do? Are we to pray that our enemies become blind? First of all, first of all, anyone who is an enemy of Christ and opposed to his gospel is already blind. 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, 2 Corinthians 4 and 4. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Sinners are already blind to their need for salvation and receiving Jesus as Savior and Lord. But are we to pray that God make folks blind who set themselves in opposition to us? Or anyone who makes life hard for us? Is this what we do? No. No, as New Testament followers of Jesus, you and I are to heed the words given to the Romans in Romans 12, 14 to 21. I'm going to read all of it. Here's what we do. Here's what we do. We, We do this. Romans 12, starting at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them with blindness. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who are weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Watch this. Watch this. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. If doing, in doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you. Don't, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. I'm not going to advocate that we pray God strike our enemies with blindness. Don't go around asking God to make folks you don't like or don't get along with blind. Otherwise, all of us wouldn't be able to see a thing. The Aramaeans blindness, listen, the Aramaeans blindness is part of a bigger picture. There may actually be a good reason. In fact, the scripture is going to show that there's a good reason why God answered Elisha's prayer and struck the Aramaeans with blindness. When this story ends, as I shared with you already, no one is arrested. No one is wounded. No one is killed. There's no bloodshed. The Aramaeans are going to experience kindness and hospitality and return home. Syria and Israel will experience a season of peace. So maybe, maybe, maybe the Aramaeans being struck with blindness was a good thing. If you're willing for your enemies who have come to do you harm to live in peace with you, Then may the Lord answer your prayers for them. Pray according to how we're exhorted to lift them up in prayer. Allow me to move on and prayerfully you'll understand better what I'm talking about. Here's my third point. Here's my third point. Here's the third reason I'm telling you don't be afraid. First reason I'm telling you don't be afraid is because because, uh, you have revelation of the enemy's plan. Secondly, don't be afraid if you have faith to fight back. Thirdly, thirdly, don't be afraid if you have cleverness to turn things around. Don't be afraid if you have cleverness to turn things around. I may have done all the hollering I'm going to do. I don't know. Look at verse 19. Cleverness to turn things around. Look at verse 19. Then Elisha went out and lied to them. You have come the wrong way. This isn't the right city follow me and I will take you to the man you are looking for who are they looking for they're looking for him it's like it's like the troops of Albany coming to Warner Robins bump rushing through those doors and saying I'm looking for Clark and I'll be like we ain't seen him we ain't seen him y'all seen Clark all y'all need to unanimously say no we ain't seen him now, if they haven't watched any of our streams, I could get away with that. I was at a restaurant. I'm at a restaurant getting some food. My man, has my, he has my food and tells me how much it costs. And so I whip out the debit card and everything, and he says, um, I know your voice. Yeah. Well, aren't you a preacher? I'm like, yeah. And I was, I was glad I didn't order the beverage I was going to order. <laughs> it's a good thing I... Good thing I just got the food and took it to the crib. You understand what I said? Aren't you a preacher? I said, yeah. how oh, you know. My, my girl, watch this. My girlfriend's granddad watches you on the stream. And sometimes I'm sit, I'll sit there and I'll watch him with you. And I recognize your voice. I thought you were that guy. See, yeah, I'm that guy. But if anybody busts through them doors looking for Clark, we ain't seen him. <laughs> Elisha steps out and lied. We ain't seen them. And he led them to the city of Samaria. As soon as they had entered Samaria, Elisha prayed, O oh Lord, now open their eyes and let them see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they discovered that they were in the middle of Samaria. Elisha lied and told the Arameans they were in the wrong city looking for them. This scene is like when we answer the phone and tell bill collectors they have the wrong number. <laughs> don't act like you ain't. It might have been a long time since you've done it, but don't act like you ain't done it. We're looking for it. ain't. You you got the wrong number. You got the wrong number. The Arameans are blind, and they obviously do not know Elisha's voice. He told them they were in the wrong city, but he could take them to who they were looking for, which, again, was him. He led the enemy to Samaria, the capital of Israel. Once there, Elisha prayed for God to open their eyes, and the Lord opened them. They're they're vulnerable. Now that they're blind, and, and scholars debate whether they were, like, totally blind or if they were just delusional or maybe they were just hallucinating regardless their their physical eyesight is impaired they need they need some help getting wherever they're going so this dude that they think is a stranger is trying to help them find who they're looking for when he's the dude they're looking for they're vulnerable but it appears that Elisha had the intention of leading them to a place where they would be vulnerable, watch this, and less hostile. Was it Elisha's intention to de-escalate the tension between himself and the Aramaeans as well as between Israel and the Aramaeans? I get the impression that his prayers for them to be blinded and then for their eyes to be opened in Samaria, watch this, was a clever way to de-escalate the tension and prevent his arrest and prevent war between Syria and Israel. When fear prevails, hostility can increase. Fear can make, can make hostility increase. It can make tension rise. And again, y'all, the end of the story can be, when it comes to fear prevailing, the end of the story can then be wounds bloodshed and even death when cleverness prevails especially in the heart of someone who has surrendered their life to God the end of the story can be peace don't be afraid be clever I want you to see something I want you to see this interesting story Jesus tells in the Bible in Luke chapter 16 meet me at Luke chapter 16 Jesus tells an interesting story commending a shrewd manager I want you to see this for yourself Luke chapter 16 just give me a few more minutes and then I'll need a few more minutes and I'll be finished Luke chapter 16 I need you to see this with your own eyes Luke chapter 16 beginning at verse 1 where a man's cleverness It may not be so obvious to the naked eye. And Jesus commends, tells this story as if this man's actions were commendable. Do you have Luke 16, 1? Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master has taken away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. And I'm ashamed to beg, I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and, uh, and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. Here's what Jesus said. For the people of this world are more shrewd, clever in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Here, here, here's, here's what we can walk away from with this text. First of all, you have this man managing, stewarding the property of another man. He's been mismanaging it. We don't know if he was stealing it or what, but he's been mismanaging it. And so he's called to account. I'm about to fire you. My man's like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Where am I going to live? How am I going to eat? What am I going to tell? His wife was probably named Melissa. What am I going to tell Melissa? Or, or Jess, what am I going to tell Jess? His wife wasn't named Michelle. (laughs) What am I going to tell my wife? I know what I'm going to do. If I lose my job, I need some friends. So I'm going to call in everybody who owes my boss money and make some adjustments to their account. Now, scholars believe that what the man may have actually done was just bite off some of the interest that some of these people owed his master. That when he told the one who owed, he said, uh, uh, verse 5 how much do you owe my master 800 800 gallons of olive oil take your bill quickly make it 400 then the next man how much do you owe a thousand bushels of wheat take your bill make it 800 verse 8 again the master commended the dishonest manager because he knew how to work that system he he knew how to work that culture so that he could, he could find favor with other people. Am I making sense at all? The man commended him, the man commended him. Jesus tells this story to teach all of us how to work the kingdom system, how to work the kingdom of light. That sometimes you gotta be clever, not sneaky. <laughs> not, not sneaky, not sinful. Jesus would never tell a parable commending sin. But he commends this man's his cleverness. He worked, he worked his, his world system to his advantage and gained friends. Listen, so uh, if I'm working for Mr. McGillicuddy and I get fired, I got favor with his friends. His friend's probably going to hire me. He's commended for being clever. The way the story is being told, it appears that the owner didn't lose anything. Not from how these deals that the man cut with the people who already owed him. Now, he may have lost some money when he mismanaged the funds in the first place. The the point I wanted to make simply is Jesus commended this man for being clever because he knew how to work his respective system. And some of us don't know how to work the word. We don't know how to be clever. Some of us know how to be sneaky. Yeah, some of us know how to be sneaky. I'm not telling you to be sneaky, but be clever. When you look at how Elisha handled this situation, it could be that his intent when he asked God to blind his enemies was to make them vulnerable so that he could lead them to a place where their vulnerability could de-escalate the situation so that we could see the outcome that prevailed in the story. So my my encouragement to you, simply be clever in how you handle situations where you're the underdog. Strive to de-escalate situations. Strive to make friends. But most of all, strive to glorify God in all situations. After all, if anybody knows cleverness, God knows how to be clever. Y'all know what I'm talking about? He put the clever in cleverness. Wasn't it clever to use death on a cross to defeat death? (laughs) That's clever. What, wasn't it clever to use some nails and a sinless sacrificial lamb on Calvary to secure our, sal- our salvation? Don't be afraid. Be clever. I'm going to close with this. Don't be afraid if you have revelation of the enemy's plan. Secondly, don't be afraid if you have faith to fight back. Thirdly, don't be afraid if you have cleverness to turn things around. Finally, don't be afraid if you have influence for a peaceful outcome. Don't be afraid if you have influence for a peaceful outcome. I'm in verse verse 21. When the king of Israel saw them, he shouted to Elisha, my father, should I kill them? Should I kill them? Of course not, Elisha replied. Now, if, if Elisha had ill intent, he'd have told him, yeah, what you asking me for? The law gives you the law gives you permission to kill your enemies. Do we kill prisoners of war? Give them food and drink and send them home again. To the master. So the king made a great feast for them and sent them home to their master. After that, the Aramean raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. The king of Israel saw the Aramean troops and asked Elijah whether we should kill them. Elijah said, Of course not. Elijah then influenced the king to show kindness and hospitality to Israel's enemy. The king trusted Elijah's counsel and did what, what he advised. Elijah said, Feed them, give them some food and water, feed them, and send them back to their country. So the king DoorDashed some oxtails, filet mignon, fried chicken, baked chicken, collard greens, potato salad. He probably gave them some Publix potato salad, probably didn't give them no homemade potato salad. Ain't going to be that hospitable. I'll give them potato salad, but ain't going to be no homemade. Go to Publix and get these clowns some potato salad. Yeah, gave them some Georgia sweet tea, some banana pudding, some sweet potato pie. Held a feast for his enemies. After they ate, the Aramaeans' returned home. There was no war, no bloodshed, no loss of life. Elisha's influence helped facilitate a peaceful outcome. My question to you, what can you do with your influence? And you do have it. You don't have to be famous. You don't have to be in a position of prominence. Everybody has influence. Don't think you don't have it. We all have a measure of influence. Influence is powerful. As the hearings are going on regarding what happened at our nation's capital on January 6th, I'm intrigued when I I'm intrigued at what I hear. At 2:24 p.m. on January 6th, President, then President Trump tweeted, "Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what was necessary." Immediately after that tweet, immediately after that tweet, riders inside and outside the Capitol went crazy. Tension and hostility escalated, driving the riders into a frenzy. Rolling Stone magazine reported that Sarah Matthews, quote, a former aide to press secretary, Kayleigh McKinney McEnany, recounted learning about the tweet. I remember getting a notification on my phone, she said. We knew it was a tweet from the president. We looked down and it was a tweet about Mike Pence. The situation was already bad, Matthews added. It felt like he was pouring gasoline on the fire by tweeting that. One man with that much influence. One tweet drives people crazy, escalates hostility, tension and violence that resulted in death, bloodshed. We all have influence. We all all have the ability to persuade some folks actions and can play a part in how hostile situations play out. Use yours for good. Use yours for the kingdom. Use your influence for peace. What authority figures can you persuade to do things that will usher in peace? I wonder how many of us need to repent for picking fights, starting mess, perpetuating drama instead of using our influence to ensure no one gets hurt and everyone can enjoy peace. Use your influence to help bring about peaceful outcomes. So maybe, maybe the man's being struck with blindness was a good thing if you're willing to use your enemy willing for your enemies to have uh, who who have come to do you harm to live in peace use your influence for good don't be praying no hoodoo prayers on folk now I'm going to close with this Jonathan I'm grateful for Elijah's influence because this whole story could have ended a whole nother way I'm grateful for Elijah's cleverness because this whole story could have ended another way if it wasn't for his faith to fight back and his revelation of the enemy's plans this whole story could have ended another way it ended with kindness it ended with hospitality some some stories don't end like this one but this one ended with peace it sounds like my story my story could have gone a whole nother way but my story is going to end with peace with God it could have it could have gone a whole another way but Jesus Jesus intervened. Jesus intervening because of Jesus intervention my story is ending with peace it I'm telling you, my story could have ended a whole another way where I could be burning in somebody's hell, but Jesus intervened. I and mean, because of him, my story is ending in peace, everlasting life. I pray that that's your story. That's not everybody's story. Some, folk gonna re- Some folks are rejecting Jesus, but that, that can be your story today. Where your story can end in peace with God. Your story can end in in everlasting life. If you don't have Christ, your story is going to have a violent ending. Your story is going to have a jacked up ending. If you don't have Christ in your life, your story, your story is going to have a messed up ending. But because of Jesus defeating death at the cross, you accept him in your life. You defeat death forever. And so I appeal to you. I invite you to Jesus today as we stand all over the building. I invite you. To the one who died for you today, I invite you to the one who shed his blood to wash your sins away. Isn't that clever? To use the blood of a sinless sacrifice to wash sins away. When do we ever use blood to clean up anything? But because of his sacrifice, your story can have a peaceful, joyful, wonderful ending. Come to Christ today. I want to appeal to this has been session. Dr. David Anthony Clark of the Union Grove Missionary Baptist Church of Warner Robins, Georgia. We thank you for listening. If you're ever in the Middle Georgia area, please worship with us. On the behalf of Dr. Clark and the Union Grove family, thank you for listening.